Well, today's preaching passage comes from the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. You can find that on page 178 of your pew Bibles in front of you. Would you stand as I read the word of the Lord? Joshua 1, hear God's word to us today. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all the law that, the, that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is God's word. Well, go ahead and keep your Bibles open to the book of Joshua. We're beginning a new series uh, today in that book, and we've called it The Four uh, Forgotten Truths of, uh, About God's People from the book of Joshua. Uh, the book of Joshua is actually divided into four different sections. So there's verses one, uh, chapters 1 to 5 that is um, all about uh, the entrance into the promised land as God leads uh, his people through um, his servant Joshua into the promised land and their initial um, battles and uh, all that sort of thing, chapters 1 to 5. And then chapter 6 to 12 is, is really a great list of all the, the conquests and the battles and all, all the rest. And then, uh, the, so that's the second section. The third section, 13 through to 22, chapters 13 to 22, is a great catalogue of places and names and, and sort of geographical details. And frankly, when you read it these days, it can seem boring. It's like, why is that all in the Bible? But what you've got to understand is, imagine if you were uh, a part of Israel, and that is a record of how God has given you the land, that all that he has promised has come true, that he has been faithful and you see, part of the, one of the big themes of the book of Joshua is the faithfulness of God. That he said it, he promised it, and he did it. 
And I, I don't know what you're going through these days. There may be something where you're wondering, is God truly going to be faithful to me? Can I actually trust that he will, he will do what he said he would do? And here's the book of Joshua, and this, this list of different areas and places that he promised that he would give to God's people, and he did. And he will keep his promises to you too. So that's the third section. And then the, the final section, chapters 23 and 24, are Joshua's final word uh, to the people. They're his, his sermon to the people. And in, in that message, he's basically calling upon God's people to make a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve God or will you not serve God? He's calling on them to make a choice. Will you be faithful to the God who has been faithful to you? And he, he presents that to them. As I say, the series that we're beginning is called The Four Forgotten Truths About God's People. And we're going to look at those four uh, truths over the next four weeks. The story so far in, in Joshua is that uh, God had promised to Abraham that his descendants would inherit the promised land and um, he had told Abraham there would come a time, as indeed happened, where his descendants would go into slavery into Egypt. And they were there for a long time. And then God, according to his promise, rescued his people from Egypt through the hand of his servant Moses. But now, so that's the backstory. now Moses is dead. And God's people are camped on the other side of the Jordan. And now it's up to Joshua, Moses' assistant, to lead them across the Jordan into the promised land. So that's, that's the drama of the moment that we're in as we begin this book of Joshua. And the first of these four forgotten truths, we'll see why I've called them forgotten as we go through this series and through this sermon. It's intended to remind God's people who they are and what their purpose is, lest they forget, lest we forget. The first of these four forgotten truths about God's people is that we are on a mission. You are on a mission. We are on a mission. You see, it's often being observed that the book of Joshua has a parallel book in the New Testament, a uh, companion book, a parallel book, a, a book that is kind of like Joshua in the New Testament. And that book is the book of Acts. Just as God's people were told to go into the promised land and to inherit the land that God had given them, so we as the New Testament people of God are told to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And the book of Acts describes the beginning of that as uh, the message of the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we, we enter the land not with a physical sword, but with the sword of the spirit of the gospel. And it's a call, therefore, uh, to mission. You're on a mission. We, as God's people, are a mission. And uh, this, uh, this first passage here, uh, that's uh, the first of the four forgotten truths that is about we're on a mission, has two parts to it. It's structured in, in two sections, and there are two parts of the sermon. And if you're taking notes, here they are. Um, first, the place, 
of mission, and then second, the power for mission. So the place of mission, and then the power for mission. And the place of mission is verses 1 to 6, and the power for mission, it sort of overlaps in in verse 6, the structure of of this message from God to Joshua. Um, Then the power for mission is from verse 6 to the end of this um, message from God to Joshua in verse 9. So the place of mission, and then the power for mission. First, the place of mission. So you're on a mission. To where? What's the place of mission? Here it is, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. This is the backstory. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land. So this is the place. And then emphasize, as as the place is described over and over again here, you'll see this, is that the land is a gift into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. You see, when when God had first announced the promised land to Abraham, he said, I'm going to give you this land. And again, here it is, into the land that I'm giving to them. And then is described uh, the various um, uh, parts of this land. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have, again, notice, given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Then verse 4, the, the, uh, the sort of geographical boundaries of the land are described. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall... And then verse 5 and 6 begins again to the power for mission. As I say, it's an overlap, but that power for mission is exposited by, uh, explained by the Lord more in the, in the second half. But no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I'll be with you and not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. This is the power for mission that we'll look at more in a moment. Here, here is the place. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So that the place is a gift is emphasized over and over again. Now, before I apply that for us today as God's New Testament people, it is important that we deal with a couple of common objections to the book of Joshua. Uh, here they are. First of, first of all, people often say today that the book of Joshua and the story that describes is deeply unfair. It's not right. It was the Canaanite land. Why were they chucked out? How's that fair? What is more, when you read uh, the accounts in Joshua, it sounds like, well, several times it says that they, they went in and they totally destroyed the people. And it begins to sound like, well, genocide? How's that right? How could the holy God do that? So how do we answer this common objection today? Well, first of all, it's important to remember that God is God. And that to question God is itself a risky proposition. Nonetheless, what God does should reflect the character of God that God reveals. So 
so how do we answer this question? Well, first of all, but it, it's important to remember who the Canaanites were by this stage. The Canaanites had given in to the worst kinds of abusive sexual immorality. You can read about it in Leviticus 18. And not only that, they had developed a practice of child sacrifice. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 12. So here are the Canaanites. Deeply abusive sexual immorality being practiced and killing their children, child sacrifice. What is more, God says uh, through Joshua to the people that if they, as they enter this land, if they take on the practices of the Canaanites and become like the Canaanites, they too, the Israelites, will be expelled from the land as indeed happened. And those descriptions of um, total destruction are um, hyperbole. They, they are exaggeration to make a point. Uh, and you can read that in the text because when it says they were totally destroyed, right after it would say, make sure you don't intermarry with them. Well, you can't intermarry with people who are dead. So what has been said by the total destructionists is hyperbole, exaggeration of effect. What has been said is their authority over the land has gone. So this is not a description of God's unfairness. This is a description of the holy God who will take a stand against evil. And of course, the Old Testament description of the wrath of God against injustice and evil is a mere precursor to the final judgment of God you read about in the book of Revelation. The grossest kinds of sexual abusive immorality, child sacrifice. You know, a few years ago when I read those, I looked at it, you know, Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 12, you read that and you think, well, that's, that's, that's awful. How could that possibly happen? And now, you know, when I read Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 12, I say to myself, sounds, sounds scarily familiar. I'm told you just have to click a couple of buttons on the internet and you can find the grossest abusive kind of sexual immorality and child sacrifice. I mean, we, we, we kill a lot of babies. So God's people, we must not become like the Canaanites. And there is a message of warning to any country, any nation, any people that does come like the Canaanites. How long will God's wrath be? Uh, held in, a, in abeyance. How, how long would he be patient? And the mission, the place of mission, therefore, for us, is not to go in with a physical sword. No, the place of mission is to go with the sword of the Spirit, to win the Canaanites around us to Christ, that they might be rescued from the final judgment to come. 
So that's the first common objection. Isn't it deeply unfair? No, it's not deeply unfair. It's a description of God's justice for which we are grateful because there are great evils in this world. And that when someone commits horrendous evils throughout their life and then they die, we say they got away with it. They didn't get away with it. There is a judgment to come. But the other common objection that people often have to the book of Joshua is simply this, which is it never happened. The conquest never really took place. How do you answer that one? They would say there's no archaeological evidence that took place. Well, the book you really need to read about that is a book by someone called K.A. Kitchen, who for many years was a professor and then professor emeritus of Egyptology at the University of Liverpool. His book on the reliability of the Old Testament is actually endorsed by one of the members of College Church who's now gone to be the Lord, someone called Harry Hoffner, who was for many years professor at the University of Chicago. It's a brilliant book, and he disperses all these myths about the Old Testament but they're important so that's the book to read K.A. Kitchen because you know if you if you if you go to that source of all contemporary wisdom and knowledge today Wikipedia (laughs) and just read what it says about the conquest it will tell you you know basically no modern scholar believes it and that ain't true And I, so K.A. Kitchen's the book you need to read, but it's a big book and none of you are going to read it. So let me, um, let me, <laughs> so let me just give you a little snippet, okay. He, he, one of the things he says is that the people who have just become like into the manuscripts, the texts, that kind of scholar, that kind of theologian, but don't step back to actually look at the history because he was an Egyptologist, um, they misunderstand the context. So they'll say there's no archaeological evidence, but hold on a moment. Where did the Israelites live and what kind of people were they? So the Israelites in Egypt lived on what's called the East Delta of the Nile River, and the East, almost certainly, and the East Delta is a mud flat. So nothing's preserved in mud. What is more, the, the Israelites, they were slaves. They didn't live in palaces with stone. They lived in shacks with beaten down wood. So that there are no archaeological remains is exactly to find is exactly what you would expect to find. And, and indeed, it's well known that pharaohs, the, the Egyptian rulers, never recorded any failures. And so that, that's the record of Israel's uh, escape from Egypt and then entrance into the promised land is not recorded by the Egyptian pharaohs is exactly what you would expect to find. And when you, when you read the accounts, the Egyptian accounts, of the kind of world in which the, the Israelites would have lived, it is, it is extraordinarily like the world that is described in the Bible. So those are two common objections. It really did happen, and it, it really is just. Well, then let me apply this, the place of mission to us. First, just in two simple ways for you. Um, first, individually, and then corporately for us as a church, as a congregation. And um, just do it, uh, 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 you know, individually. I find a lot of people ask the question about their, you know, about their working life, about their, fa- about their friendship life, about their social life. I find today a lot of people ask the question, where's the line 
You know, how, how far is too far? Where, where can I go where I'm not a Canaanite, but I'm still a Christian? Where's the line? You know, is, is one beer okay, but two beers is not okay? Is, is a little bit of innocent flirting okay, but is this now across the, the, the border to sexual morality? Where's, where's the line? Wrong question. The right question is, what's your mission? That just changes the whole mentality. The issue is not where the line is. The issue is how are you going to reach the people around you? What, what kind of man do you have to be to, to raise up children who will love Jesus and will go, yeah, I saw dad live a certain way. How, how, and I know it because he, he, he lived that kind of What kind of man do you have to be to live like that? What kind of mum do you have to be for your children to grow up like that? What kind of business leader do you need to be so that you create an environment around which people can actually believe that the Christianity is true because you live it out day by day, Monday to Friday, and not just Sunday? That's the question. What's your mission? So that's individually. And then corporately, that is for us as a church, you know, 8 o'clock service, 9 o'clock, 9.30 service, 11 o'clock service, 6 o'clock um, prayer meeting tonight. Us as a, as a church, us as a group. The application, so I would make this, is this. See, a lot of people think of church as a museum, you know, uh, the church has been around a long time. I don't mean this church. I mean church in general. The church has been around a long time, a couple of thousand years. You know, uh, it, It's fine if you like that kind of old-fashioned stuff. It's a museum for saints. Other people, though, look at church as a market. We have a product, God, and we're trying to market it to the society around us. So we're, we're, we're selling something. Church is like a market. But the trouble if church is just a museum, then it's just out of date, isn't it? It's going to fade away in the end. It's a museum. There's no living power to it. And if, and if church is a, is a market, then in order to sell God, you've got to make compromises. Because, you know, the people around you might like, not like this part of the Bible or this part of morality or this idea about God and you've got to shift things around and before too long you become a Canaanite but church is neither a museum nor a market church is a mission go therefore make disciples of all nations we're on a mission that's what we're about So first, the place of mission. And then second, a little more briefly, the power for mission. As I say, this runs from verse uh, 6 as well and goes to the end of uh, this speech of God's, this message of God's uh, to Joshua that is now relayed to us in this book named after him. So um, the power for mission and the free tools Three resources that God gives to Joshua and gives to us for this, this mission. It's a big mission, raising your children, living for Christ in the world. Where's the, what are the resources? What's the power for it? So the three, uh, three uh, resources, three tools for this power for mission. And the first is be strong and courageous. And this is emphasized over and over again. So verse 6, be strong and courageous. Uh, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And then verse 9, be strong and courageous. 
Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. It's emphasized again and again here. It's also emphasized again and again throughout the book of Joshua. So what's going on here is when God first told Moses in the book of Deuteronomy to raise up Joshua as his assistant and train him to take God's people into the promised land, he told Moses to encourage Joshua, to give him courage and strength. And then in Deuteronomy 31, when when Moses is is, is commissioning Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous. And now when God is speaking to Joshua directly, what does he say? Be strong and courageous. See, this is not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This is not just... When the going gets tough, the tough get going. This is the truth of who Joshua is and who you are if you're a Christian, applied by yourself to yourself. Look at it like this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh preacher, would often say that the trouble with Christians is they listen too much to themselves when they should be speaking to themselves. You know, listening to yourself is, I'm not very good. I could never fulfill this mission. Who am I to be able to train my children? What kind of gifts do I have? How can I be a witness at work? How can I teach Sunday school? I, 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 my sins are too bad for God to forgive. I, I, I'm useless. I can, that's listening to yourself. Speaking to yourself is saying, God in Christ has forgiven my sins. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm a child of God. Nothing and no one can snatch me from his hand. And therefore, be strong and very courageous. That's the first resource. Who you are in Christ and therefore be strong and very courageous. The second resource that God gives to Joshua and to us is the Bible. So he says, uh, verse 7, Uh, Be strong and very courageous then. Be careful to do according to all the law. The law is uh, the the, the English translation of Torah, which means the teaching. So when you see law in the Old Testament, you shouldn't think legalistic. You should think teaching. All the teaching that Moses, my servant, commanded you. And he describes what that means. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. So it's it's the Torah, the teaching of Moses, which for us now is the Bible, the whole Bible as we stand on the other side of Jesus coming and New Testament Christians, the Bible. And what God is saying to Joshua is that he should stick to the Bible. Don't go to the right of it or to the left of it. That is, don't get more conservative than the Bible, more legalistic than the Bible. Neither get more liberal or licentious than the Bible. Stick to the Bible. Neither to the right nor the left. Stay on the path. And then he tells him you should meditate on it day and night. And that doesn't mean he never did anything other than Read the Bible. I mean, we know that when you read the book of Joshua that he did a lot of other things. He fought a lot of battles. He presumably wasn't reading the Bible, but he was fighting. What it means is 
you should bookend each day, morning and night. Read the Bible in the morning, read it at night. Bookend each day. And, and then he says, do not let this law depart from your mouth, which is a fascinating phrase because what you've got to understand is the ancients. So now when we read to ourselves now, we read in our head. So if you go to Starbucks or something and you're, you're reading a book there and no one can hear what you're reading because you're reading in your head. You're just looking down and you're reading it. You, you can hear it in your head. But that ability to read in, in your head when you're reading at this stage in human history, had not yet been discovered. And they didn't, they didn't read like that. They read quietly, out loud, under their breath. If they were reading to themselves, they would have sort of muttered. It'd be like, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son. So it's in your mouth. Don't let it depart from your mouth. In other words, say it over and again. Say it to yourself. Read it. Reflect on it. Meditate. Don't let it depart from your mouth. And if you do that, God says, you'll be prosperous and very successful. That doesn't mean that you're going to get you know, the BMW you always wanted or the, you know, the four houses in Florida or whatever it is you like. What it means is that word successful has the sense of comprehend, be wise. What it means is if you give yourself to the book of the law, if you give yourself to the Bible, then you'll understand what God wants. Then you'll understand the maker's instructions. Then you'll understand his covenant promises. And of course, your life will be more effective as a result. You'll be wise. You'll know how to live. So that's the, that's the second tool. The Bible. Stick to the Bible. Neither to the right to the left. Keep it in, in your mouth. Keep reading it. Thinking about it. Morning and evening. Then you'll be successful in the sense of then you'll be wise and know how to live. And the third tool is perhaps the most precious of all, which is the very presence of God himself. And again, this is emphasized. Verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then at the end, uh, to top and tail, the emphasis at the end, uh, don't be frightened, don't be dismayed, verse 9, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And once again, we're reminded, aren't we, of the New Testament commission of God's people to mission. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. For surely, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. What a, what a tool, what a resource, what power for mission that God himself, Christian, is with you, that he will never leave you, Christian, or n- and never forsake you, Christian, that the Spirit of Christ himself dwells in you, that when, when you're on that hospital bed and no one is there, you're not alone. That when you're taking a stand for something at work that other, that, and you feel like you're deeply unpopular and, no, and you're all alone, you're not alone. He's with you. He will never forsake you. And if that's true, that's power for mission. If he's with me, 
I can do it. So the place of mission and the power for mission. This is the first of the four forgotten truths about God's people. And I say forgotten because I believe the book of Joshua is written to remind God's people. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Joshua. Um, Perhaps it had elements of what Joshua himself wrote. I think, this is my conclusion at this point, at least in my life, I think probably put together by the prophet Samuel, Joshua stands as the first of the prophetic books in the Hebrew way of um, describing uh, what we call the Old Testament, put together by the prophet Samuel. And after the book of Joshua came Judges. And we are told that a generation raised up that knew neither the works of God nor Joshua his servant, and they forgot people of God do not forget we have a mission and that place of mission all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me it's a gift Jesus tells us that he has won through the power of the cross and there is power for that mission be strong and very courageous because Christ has saved you that's who you are as a Christian your identity Be strong and very courageous because of the word of God, the Bible that you have in your mouth, in your mind, and because he will never leave you nor forsake you. For there is a better and greater Joshua. The Hebrew Joshua translates the Greek as we express it in English, Jesus. And he is our captain. And with him, we cannot fail. Oh, our Lord God, we do pray that you would help us as uh, your people to be on mission for you. Uh, We pray, Lord, as uh, we look around at the Canaanite society in which we live, we pray, Lord, that you would help us not to become um, sexually immoral, not to become abusive, to be be different and separate, to be holy. We pray also, Lord, that you'd help us to be on mission, that we would reach out to the society around us, and not just to the society around us, to our children, our teenage children, our young children, to the students. We pray, Lord, for our college students that they would live faithfully for you as you have been faithful to them. Uh, Father, we, uh, we pray, Lord, that we would be on mission uh, to train and teach. Lord, that this church here would be not a market nor a museum, but a mission. That would be a school for disciples, a hospital for the sick. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit, even now, you reach out and reclaim and rescue uh, those uh, here this morning that you would set us uh, back on the path of mission for your glory. We pray, Lord, that as we look ahead to this week, Monday to Friday, that you, through the resources of your word, and uh, that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to be very strong and courageous for you and your glory. 
And Lord uh, Jesus, we are so grateful for you, our great captain, our great leader, the better and true Joshua, Jesus, you yourself. We worship you and love you. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to follow you this new year. And we pray all these things in, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.